the fourth Aliyah on Wednesday of Parshat Ekev, moving right along in Moshe's rebuke of the Jewish people, getting them ready for their entry into the land of Israel. Verse 1, chapter 10, Ba'esahi, at that time, this is uh, two words that keep reappearing, by the way, Ba'esahi, at that time, Amar Hashem Eli, God said to me, Psal lecha, Rashi will tell us what does it mean at that time, which time was that, but what did he say? He said, Psal lecha, you for yourself, car for yourself, Shnei luchot avanim, two tablets of stone, karishonim, like the first ones that were broken, va'alei elai hahara, and ascend to me, to the mountain, Vasisa lecha aron eights, and you shall make for yourself a wooden ark. <clears throat> Rashi is going to tell us that even though God says it in this order, to first make the tablets, you the tablets, and then make the ark, Moshe does it in the opposite order. He makes the ark first because he wants to have somewhere to put the tablets. Rashi will also tell us, so first, that's the first thing he tells us about the order, that Moshe is going to reverse the order. The second thing is Moshe t- Rashi tells us that this ark, this wooden ark, we should not confuse it with the ark of the tabernacle. It's a separate ark, and it was used to hold the broken tablets until the real ark was made. Not that I would say the real ark, until the ark of the tabernacle was made, and then the broken tablets were put in there as well. Rashi will also say that this ark was brought out, they would use this ark to go out to war. And the one that Betzalel made, which is the one that was in the tabernacle, that one did not go out to war. It only went out to war in the days of Eli, who was a teacher of Samuel the prophet. And they were punished for that because it wasn't supposed to go out. And that and and the ark was captured by the Philistines, only coming back much later. So that's Rashi. It's a long Rashi. And um, I'll leave it at that because I basically gave you what it says in Rashi. Verse two. So I wrote. I'm sorry. And God says, I am going to write the. I'm going to inscribe these tablets with the words. That were on the first tablets that you broke, the and you shall place them into the ark. Verse three. So I made this ark made out of acacia wood, and I used two stone tablets like the first ones. And I went up to the mountain, and with the two tablets in my hand. Verse 4, so God writes upon these tablets that I brought up to him. So the difference between the first two tablets and the second is that in the first tablets, God does everything. He provides the stone and, and inscribes the stone. And in the second tablets, it's Moshe who provides the stone and God inscribes it. Like the first one, the ten, the ten commandments. All right, it's interesting, just a general point that we talk in English about the Ten Commandments, but in Hebrew, it's a sedes hadvarim. It's almost like the Ten Things or the Ten Statements. 
just a technical point. That God spoke to you, Bahar, on the mountain from the fire on the day of the, of the assembly. And God gives these tablets to me. And I turn, I go down from the mountain, and I place the Luchot in the ark that I made. And they were there just as God commanded. And then, verse 6, the Jewish people traveled from the wells of Benayakon to Moserah. There, Aharon died and was buried there. And Elazar, his son, served as Cohen in his stead. Now, Rashi will tell us. First of all, Rashi is going to wonder, why is this story being mentioned here? As the commentaries explain, there's a big gap of time between what, Rashi, what Moshe was talking about. You know, the tablets, this is very soon after they're leaving Egypt. And this story, which happens, the death of Aaron, which is like 40 years later. Rashi will tell us that this is that there is a connection here. What's the connection? I'll go into the words of Rashi. This is part of the rebuke because when Aharon died after the 40 years and the clouds of glory went away, you, you became afraid. So the clouds of glory were in the merit of Aaron and they were protecting the Jewish people. And there was a king of Arad who said, oh, the, the clouds of glory are gone. Aaron has died. Let's go attack the Jews. And instead of having faith, you became uh, weak-hearted, and you, you decided, let's go back to Egypt. And you started going back. Eight stops, you headed backwards to Mosera. And there, the children of Levi, the tribe of Levi, they stopped you. And they said, no, you can't go back. We're not going back. We're going to Israel. And there was a, there was a war between the tribe of Levi and the rest of the Jewish people until the Jewish people said, okay, we're going to go back. And so, um, and so this is part of the rebuke of the Jewish people of what they did there, even though it's not mentioned um, in the verse, but as we saw at the beginning, beginning of, um, of Devarim, Moshe will use kind of hinting to things that happened without actually spelling them out. So he's hinting to what happened when Aharon died. Um, okay, now here in this Rashi in verse 7 is where Rashi explains how it's connected over here. Rashi says, V'samach Moshe. Moshe juxtaposes this rebuke to the rebuke about the breaking of the Ten Commandments, even the, of, the, of the tablets, even though they happen 40 years apart almost, in order to say, because there's a, there's a comparison that, that Moshe is making between the death of the righteous, the death of Aharon, and the breaking of the Luchos. And what's the comparison? It is as difficult or grievous to the Holy One, to God, the death of the righteous as is the breaking of the Luchot. The breaking of the, the death of the righteous is, is a sad and um, you know grave event equal to the breaking of the Luchot. That's a you know great statement and also the preciousness learned from this juxtaposition is to tell us that this the fact that the Jewish people wanted to go back and they wanted to appoint a leader to return to Egypt at that time after Aaron's death was also as grievous as the day that the, the golden calf was made. That's why this story is connected over here. Verse 8, at that time, now we're going back 40 years, going back to, to uh, the, the beginning of the journey. Hashem, as after the golden calf, God separated the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of God, to stand before God. 
to serve him and to bless in his name. Now Rashi will tell us that the, the verse is talking about the Levites and the Kohanim. So in the words, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, that is the Levites. To bless his name, a special blessing, that is the Kohanim, not the Levites. Now, how do, what is the, the separation of the tribe of Levi? How does that come in over here? And how is that a rebuke? Why is that part of the rebuke? So Rashi tells us that in the first year after of leaving Egypt, you made the mistake of serving the golden calf. But the children of Levi, the tribe of Levi, they did not make any such mistake. They did not worship the golden calf. And it was because of that that they were separated by God to be the special tribe. So it's part of the rebuke in that the fact that you served the, the golden calf, but the tribe of Levi did not. This is why they merited to have this special distinction. And, and the reason there's an additional connection here is that the Torah is also hinting to us that this mistake much later at the end of the 40 years after Aaron's death, where the Jewish people want to return to Egypt, there too, the tribe of Levi remained distinct and they did not, um, they did not want to go back to Egypt. In fact, they fought the other, their brethren to keep them on track. As Rashi says, carry the Aaron, that's the Levites to stand before God and serve him and bless his name, that is the konim, and refers to the special blessing of the konim where they raise up their hands. Verse 9, therefore, there will not be, there is no, no portion and inheritance of the tribe of Levi with their brethren. As Rashi says, they are separated for the work of the altar, for the temple. They're not free to plow and sow. So what's, what's their deal? Hashem hu The Lord is his inheritance. As the Lord God, your God spoke to him. Now what does it mean that the Lord is his inheritance? You know, that could sound pretty scary. You're not getting any portion. God will be your portion. Now what am I going to eat? Says Rashi, Hashem hu If I'm not plowing and, and sowing, what am I going to eat? So Rashi says, Noitel pras mizuman mi beis the tribe of Levi, the coin in particular, receives his daily fear designated for him from the king's house. What's the king's house? So everybody else is working. You got to plow. You got to sow. You got to do your, do your work. But that's not for the tribe of Levi. That's not for the coin. They are dedicated completely to the spiritual life. And they receive their portion ready from the house of the king. And that refers, of course, to the gifts due to the koinim, the trumas, the maestras, the, the tithes that go to the Levites, uh, etc. Verse 10, and I stood at the mountain like the first days, 40 days and 40 nights. God listened to me at that also at that time. And did not wish to destroy you. So these 40 days and 40 nights, the first time, the first said he's studying Torah. Here he's praying um, for the Jewish people. Um, Rashi says, I'm stood upon the mountain to receive the second tablets. Like the first tablets, just as the first set was with divine will, so it was with this last set, as we learned yesterday. Rashi repeats it. Interesting. Verse 11, and God said to me, Kum get up 
arise and go to lead the travels before the people. They will come and they will inherit the land. That I promised their forefathers to give to them. Now here, the, this is how the Aliyah ends. And it ends in a very positive note. So we see that within the rebuke, we also have words of encouragement. As Rashi tells us, even though you turned away from following him, you made the mistake with the golden calf. God told me afterwards, go ahead and lead the people and we're going to keep going. The show will go on despite this colossal mistake of the golden calf. The Jewish people will continue on their way to their promised land. So we'll stop there and open it up to Q and see questions and comments. I got a question with you, see, uh, that uh, Levi is supposed to get the portion from, from the king, but uh, in the times of judges, you know, was no king in there. So, I'm sorry, the, the king that Rashi is talking about is God. <laughs> okay, from God, not from the kings, you know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the capital K. Okay. Interesting okay. That, right. I mean, it's he's using it <laughs> metaphorically, you know, like you know, in the palace, they're getting a portion, they they um they get their portion straight from the palace of God. Okay, thank you. Bruce. The wooden ark that they took to war with them that was captured by the Philistines, what was in that? Did we lose the broken tablets? Yeah, so the broken tablets, according to commentary, Mizrahi was placed in was placed in the uh, tabernacle that was I mean, sorry, was placed in the ark that was in the tabernacle. So, according to that opinion, that's a good question. What exactly was in that ark um, that they would be taking out to war? I'm not sure. I, I want to say a Torah scroll. I want to say a Torah scroll, but I don't. I don't know. So the broken tablets were in. We're in the, we're in the we're in the ark that we're in the that was in the tabernacle. Was there any decoration on top of that ark, like the cherubs? I would assume not, because the cherubs were very specific, um, very specific for the one that's in the tabernacle. So I would assume not. Thank you. But uh, it was still something very powerful in, in, in that ark because. Uh, because the Philistines start dying because of you know who were around the thing. Right. So the Philist, the one that they took out to the war of the Philistines, they they parted from the proper protocol and they took the one from the tabernacle, which they should not have taken. So the one that they went out to war with was the one that we read about today, that was not part of the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. That was the one that they typically took out to war, and that was okay. Mm -hmm. But the mistake they made in the time of Ailey and that war with the Philistines, they took the one from the tabernacle. That was a mistake. They shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yes, that was a very powerful one. And um, that's why they took it. But it didn't work out for them because, you know, they were using it as a uh, talisman of sorts. Instead of putting their faith in God, they were putting their faith, you know, they, they kind of turned away from God and were just using it as a, you know, this miraculous phenomenon. You know, they were separating the, the power of it 
in their minds from from worship of God. They thought, you know, you do whatever you want, but you're still going to get these miracles happen because you have this power. That didn't work. And the Ark was captured. And as you said, the, it didn't work out for the Philistines either because they, they didn't deserve it. So it wasn't working out for them. So eventually they sent it back. And they paid for the delivery. <laughs> okay. So I was going to make a comment. Uh, so the the Israelis turned back, want to go back to Egypt, also want to worship the golden calf, except for the tribe of uh, Levi, right? That turned to get, fought them and stopped them from turning back. I just thought it was interesting that this tribe obviously trusted in God, wanted to continue, didn't give in to the, this temptation, yet all these other, all the others, with all these signs of God, with all the ways in which God was helping, still they were tempted to worship a golden calf. I mean, you know, it's like, how do you choose, how can you choose a golden calf over God? You know, I mean, it's just, a, isn't that amazing? I, mean, I, I guess, it's, I guess we're all, we're all subject to temptation in these ways. You know? Exactly. Right. Human nature, very powerful to ignore all the data. Right. Yeah. Um, can, um, Rabbi, can we add to that, that like, is the, the what is the human nature my guess and please help me get this my guess is that you can make any decrees you want and how things are going to be and demand things or whatever it is in your life in in anything however the human nature is that we as people are going to I don't have another word, worship something. We're going to look up for something. We're going to look for something and whatever your belief is. And that's what they did. As soon as that first day, they were a day late, but they still had to have something to worship, something to look up to. And so they made the golden calf right away. Like if you're, you're, cause you're lost, you don't have a meaning. What is my meaning? Is that a fair statement or is that yeah. what they're trying to say there? Is that what we're trying to I think that's, uh, you know, an, an element of it. Sure. That's that's well said. I was going to say about the tribe of Levi that, you know, what was indeed special about them? Well, they never were enlisted in the enslavement in Egypt. They always remained separate. And, you know, the Midrash puts it very poetically that, you know, we're supposed to tithe, supposed to give a tithe of our, of our possessions, charity to God. And Levi was, was Jacob's tithe. That Jacob tithed one of, his, one of his children, he gave to God. And that was Levi. And so Levi was always dedicated to Torah study. And therefore never got into the enslavement. Because as we know, the enslavement started as a voluntary and then they said, oh, you did such a great job. You're going to keep doing that, but we're not going to pay you. And you have to do it. But Levy never volunteered for that project. And they always remained dedicated and for, you know, incredible. I mean, it could be what you want to talk about Egypt. Maybe they had a respect for that tribe because they were the, the priestly class or just some type of miracle where the Levites were left alone. And so they never really got, um, you know, they never really were, were so affected by the by the uh, by the exile and the enslavement, like the other the other tribes. So they always remained somewhat separate. Mm. 
from the. Is it, is it fair to say that uh, the tribal levy, because Moshe and Aaron, they were basically realized, and after the Korah thing was done, they were, you know, more close to them because they were, you know, leaders of their tribe. You know, but this is probably part of it too. They have better, I mean, stronger faith in Moshe and God than the other tribes because he was part one of them. Yeah, that's a good point. Or you could say Moshe and Aaron come from that tribe because it's a tribe of, uh, of you know, very spiritual tribe. Yeah, it goes both ways, yeah. It goes both ways. Okay. Rabbi, can you comment on all, I, I'm trying to understand what is the wisdom behind, or what are we supposed, what, are, what is the learning to be taken from? They took something from the tabernacle they weren't supposed to use that was very powerful, and they thought it would be. And I, I'm sorry, I don't remember what it is. I, I, I'm lost in that story, but I'm not really worried about that part. And they went and thought they could use it somewhere because of its power, but it had no power there. What is a bit of the wisdom behind that that we can employ in our lives? That's a great question. And I think at least one one obvious lesson from it is that there's always a danger when it comes to religious practice that it could become disconnected from worship of God. It could take on its own, its own agenda. You know, there was an expression that there's certain people that they worship, they worship the Shulchan Aruch, they worship the code of Jewish law, but not God, right? Wow. It's, it's ironic. You know, the way we, 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 we practice and we observe what it says in the code of Jewish law because God commanded it, but it could somehow become a worship of, of its own when God could be forgotten. We have this idea of people studying Torah and forgetting that you know, it comes from God. It becomes an intellectual exercise. So here in the extreme is a very extreme example where the Jews have separated worship of God from the holiness of, of the ark. And they're just looking at it as this uh, miraculous um, phenomenon mm. that's going to protect them in war, but that's not what protects you in, in, in war is, you know, some holy object. Yes, it's true. A holy object would protect you in war. Um, but the main thing is the worship of God. If you're not worshiping God and trying to use these objects as a talisman is not going to work. But that's a really good point. Even those religious objects, which can represent God can become these uh, graven images in a sense. We're, we're now worshiping these graven images. We just worship this image rather than surrendering to God. I think it's back to what, what Sean was saying before, but you know, that we need to be finding that power in, in God and not be turning this into something like, I mean, we could worship our fame and fortune. That can be the thing we mm. start worshiping that just like the golden calf. It's a trapping of the ego. Exactly, exactly. Humility. Always keep in mind, no, never, never, never lose sight of what it's really about. The, the number one goal is to worship God, to give praise to God, and within that remain humble, and anything is yours because you are connected and you know and never lose sight of where it comes from. Exactly. So I'll, I'll, it's a great way to say it and I'll I'll, um, I'll close today's with this uh, thought the, the very the first three words of the Parsha are 
It will be because you will listen. It will be if you will listen, then all these blessings will come. But the Orachayim, Rabbi Chaim Ibn Atar, he interprets that, that phrase on its own. It says, If you will be like the heel, if you'll be humble, <laughs> then Tishma'un, then you will hear, you will, you will grasp, you will get it, you're going to receive it. And the, he comments on the Nun, the Tishma'un, the 50 uh, gates of understanding, the secrets of the Torah. If you have the humility, you open up yourself, open yourself up to receive. So that's a big, it's a big um, point of the Parsha. I, I just want to say, Rabbi, that I'm super grateful for you as such a wonderful example of this. Thank you. I, mean, I just think it's so wonderful. So thank you very much for some, you are someone I can refer to as a, as a great example. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Second time. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been another wonderful podcast.